Welcome to episode 30 of the Swampflix podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lomboss. We are coming to you from Brittany's movie attic once again in Metairie, Louisiana. <laughs> of course, this is the podcast version of the movie review website Swampflix. Brittany. Yes. What have you seen since the last time we talked? Most recently, I half ass watched The Purge Election Year, followed by Dark Water. And it was kind of like I saw the end of Purge Election Year and then the <laughs> beginning of Dark Water. <laughs> so um, they're both horrible. Purge Election Year, they're trying super, super hard to make this a thing. And it's the third one, right? Oh, God. I oh, think so. The second? No, I think it's the third. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. I feel like they're trying to like make it like the Nightmare on Elm Street or something of our generation. Just, it's not working. Is there, like, a central villain, or is it just, like, the Purge Knight is, like, the only thing that's common? freaking Purge Knight. Okay. Everybody losing their crap. (laughs) It's super, super violent, though, so if you like gore and stuff like that, it's really, it's nice. But, um, just a lot of weird stuff going on. I couldn't really focus, which is why I just kind of, like, watched the end of it, and I was like, hmm. And it started, like, it was on Showtime or something like that, so it was, like, playing again next, and I was like, no, I'm gonna watch something else, and then I watched (laughs) Dark Water starring Jennifer Connelly. Mm. And, right, she's great. It's pretty good. It's like a a movie where she um, lives in this apartment with her daughter and all this, like, nasty-ass black water just keeps seeping in from, like, the toilet, the washer, and everything like that. And turns out, you know, there's a reason for it. It's haunted. What? There's some, like, dead girl that died from drowning. (laughs) And she's trying to communicate through some dirty water. But, yeah, they were both like didn't really grasp my attention for very long dark water was way better than purge election year i, mean, I can watch jennifer connelly in a horror movie totally yeah she was she was really good that's why i kept going but the coolest thing i've watched lately is the ice cream man is that the uh, clint howard horror movie clint howard horror movie <laughs> which i recently heard that Apparently, Clint Howard started, like, a Kickstarter campaign to make the Ice Cream Man 2 Sunday, Bloody Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So this is is from the 90s, right? Yeah, early, like, early 90s. Okay. I was confused with the Candyman as a kid because I never saw either one. Candyman? Candyman is, like, um, it's, like, one of the only black slasher villains. He's, like, got New Orleans roots, and he goes to Harlem, and... Yeah, it comes out of the toilet. Yeah. The bees. Yeah, the bees. Mm -hmm. But I had not, I had never seen either of these films. I've never seen uh, Ice Cream Man either, but, uh, over my life, I get those two (laughs) titles swapped. Candyman. To the point where everything was just, you know, the the acting was so crappy that it was creepy as shit. Like, you know, whenever something's just, like, really, like, it's... The acting's so bad that it's, like, really weird and it makes you super uncomfortable. Um, hello, Clint Howard. He's great at it. But the movie is basically about a <laughs> mentally deranged ice cream man. And he um, kills people and he puts their parts in the ice cream. Naturally. And then serves it to people. Like, there's a part where um, a detective's like, hey, ice cream man, give me a scoop of that rocky road. And there's, like, an eyeball in it. <laughs> and then he's chewing on it. And then, like, the camera zooms in on him, like... Chewing on this eyeball yes. in the rocky road. Oh, Jesus Christ. There's a very memorable scene that I couldn't stop thinking of. There's a group of kids that are like, the ice cream man's really killing people. And their parents are like, okay, okay. <laughs> and the cops are like, really, kids? <laughs> no, the ice cream man really is, you know, killing people and kidnapping children. There's a kid named Tuna. Uh-huh. And he's 
an average size, like, 12-year-old boy, but they tried to make him fat because Tuna's, like, always eating, so they try to, like, make him into this, like, you know, sloppy fat kid. So they just, like, stuffed him with pillows. <laughs> he looks like Frankenstein. No. Because he's not a chunky kid in real life, but they just have, like, really weird stuffing around him. Just hire a big kid. <laughs> I guess they couldn't <laughs> find one at the moment. Jesus, but there's a part where the ice cream man is at the grocery store and Tuna knows that the ice cream man has like kidnapped his friend. So the ice cream man's trying to like, you know, silence Tuna. So Tuna's like rolling around under carts in this grocery store and no one notices him, but he's this kid that's just stuffed to the brim and freaking pillows <laughs> underneath a shopping cart and like no one notices him. And it's just like... It just made no sense whatsoever for a movie that's not supposed to make sense. I love that era of, like, 90s VHS horror movies like, that are, like, obviously kind of for children, right. but they're, like, super violent in, right. like, a, like, a hard R kind of way. Yeah, I would say Ice Cream Man was like that. Yeah. And, like, Dr. Giggles. AMC used to have, like, these spooky, like, horror movie Friday night double feature things. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever I saw the Ice Cream Man, it was the Ice Cream Man followed by Dr. Giggles. I don't even know that one either. Oh, my God. I need to check both of those yeah, out. Yeah, to watch that again there was a movie last year called clown that was about like this guy who wears a birthday suit for his kid's <laughs> birthday party and it's it turns out it's cursed and it takes over his body and turns him into a clown demon that like has to eat children oh, to break the curse uh and that felt a lot like that early <sighs> 90s like horror that's, cannibalism like, that cannibalism yeah and, and just like super violent gore plus like a childhood kind of aesthetic like, uh, <laughs> Brian Usna's, um, the guy who did Society, oh, he, has, he has a movie called sweet. The Dentist that's also in yes, the same way. Yes, yes. Oh my god, The Dentist. I remember the movie cover, like, mm-hmm. from this, like, movie rental place called Deborah's Movie World I used to go to when I was younger. And this girl just had all gums, and, like, there were just blades in her gums. And yeah, stuff yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, I uh, finally just saw Candyman for the first time last year, so okay. it's time that I, I knock out Ice Cream Man as well. Get to the Ice Cream Man. David Naughton is in it. Who is that? He is famous for that song, Making It. And, <laughs> is that um, like disco? Yeah, it was like the disco era, and then he was also in An American Werewolf in um, London. Yeah, London. Okay. Paris is the... Paris is the 90s one. The 90s one. Yeah. I mean, both are pretty, pretty yeah. cool. He's in it, and you would appreciate this. There's a scene where the ice cream man gets to David Naughton. David Naughton is Tuna's dad, and the ice cream man smashes David Naughton's face in a waffle cone maker, <laughs> and then he um he makes like an ice cream cone out of like I guess the waffle f- cone flesh and his oh, head. Sick. <laughs> So it's super disgusting, but it's amazing. I'm excited about that. Amazing. Well, I watched kind of like a ridiculously over-the-top premise horror movie in the same way. Uh, This movie, Hell Comes to Frogtown. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) So Rowdy Roddy Piper, the same year he made They Live, plays Sam Hell, who is the last man on Earth who has like a high sperm count. This is after like a nuclear fallout where <laughs> everyone is like, uh, got a low sperm count. And there's no more women than men in the world. So women are very much running things. It's like a matriarchy. Nice. They kidnap him, the government, and 
force him to save the world by impregnating as many women as possible. To do so, he has to go to this town that's been overrun by mutant frogs that are holding virgins hostage for ransom from the government. The frogs? The frogs. Are they, like, normal size? They are human bodies. Oh. And they just happen to have frog heads. Oh. Uh, And it's kind of like Planet of the Apes. Like, their faces don't really move that well, except that on their neck, they have, like, that bulbous uh, ribbit. (laughs) Yeah, that, like, fleshy thing. Pulsates. Yeah. Is this an older movie? <laughs> it's from the 80s. It's oh, The cool. same year he made They Live, it was 1988. He was also in Hell Comes to Frogtown. It's not as good as They Live. Okay. So instead of like, you know, and They Live, like his big one-liner is like, I came here to chew ass and kick bubblegum and I'm all out of bubblegum. This one, the like big punchline like that is like, eat lead, froggies. Which is not, not quite as like yeah. iconic. Uh-huh. There must be like a... A thing with frog horror, because there's that movie <laughs> called Frog. That's a good movie. Right. Like This uh, is way better, actually. This is kind of like a weird... I don't want to... Mm-hmm. Maybe even calling it horror is kind of a, a stretch. Okay. It's kind of like a weird Mad Max ripoff, where they're just kind of riding through the desert, through these, like, desolated, <laughs> the post-apocalypse <laughs> towns. Uh, there just happens to be these, like, weird humanoid frog people that are holding their, like, impregnatable women hostage. And he has to wear this, like, mechanical chastity belt that the government controls, like when he can fuck and if he like runs away too far they'll like blow up his dick so that's like how they're holding <gasps> him hostage oh my god the movie has a really weird sexual energy to it do, do the frogs do anything weird uh yeah there's a frog with three dicks oh. uh there's a stripper frog <laughs> oh i had a feeling uh i totally recommend watching this movie it's like i said it's not gonna hold up to they live which is like one of john carpenter's like best like weirdo pieces i think uh yeah. this is like more just like how, why does this exist well i'm scared of frogs in general so i feel like this movie would scare the shit out of me so this, i'm gonna watch it <laughs> yeah it kind of feels like if someone started writing like frog themed erotica and it just kind of like <laughs> snowballed into like a screenplay by accident like there's just so much weird sex stuff in it so i definitely recommend giving that a, a, a shot um also an 80s movie i saw that i really liked recently um from 1982 it's called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. It's starring Diane Lane and a young Laura Dern and another actress who I don't know off the top of my head as a young f- punk band in the early 80s. They've only had two or three practices and they decide that they're going to go out on tour and they sort of luck themselves into a tour opening for like a couple bands that have actually like got their shit together. So they're opening for a sort of group of has-been glam rock assholes and a group of young British punks who are made up of members of The Clash and The Sex Pistols. Whoa. The girls become very popular on tour because they have this very striking um, new wave makeup and sex-positive outfits they start wearing on, on stage, and they start saying things like, we don't put out, and like men are trying to screw us, and all this stuff. And they become like sort of this national sensation where girls start coming from all places and all these small towns to come see them. And they're all dressed the same. Like they're dressed like the stains and they want to see this band perform and they're not ready for that fame. Um, (laughs) And basically all the men around them, the record company execs, the bands they're opening for the press, they're all like complete dicks to these girls and like basically push them as a novelty and sort of like screw them over. And the movie is like kind of like this, 
sort of proto-feminist punk, like, kind of Riot Girl before it was called Riot Girl mm-hmm. diatribe about how men are, like, gatekeepers to the punk community and to pop culture at large and, like, try to keep Whoa. girls from starting their own bands and, like, having their own voice in the right. subculture. Uh, it's a really great movie. It's a little loose around the edges in, in a way that's not, that's not like, a perfected work. Like, yeah. it seems like... Uh, a perfected version of this movie would be like We Are the Best, which is like a Swedish movie from a few years ago that I like loved to death. This one's more like watching the Ramones in uh, Rock and Roll High School, where they're like can't really speak English well. They're like, oh, with the Magloop, uh, where they're like eating pizza. And, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is like yeah. watching a bunch of like fried rock and rollers try to throw a movie together. Uh, so it's got like kind of like an exploitation film like mm. looseness to it. Uh, but it's really important. I think it, it actually inspired bands like Bikini Kill to like get involved in the scene in the first place. That's awesome. So it's an important milestone whether or not it's like 100% firing on all c- cylinders at all times. What year was it again? 1982. 82. There's, have you ever seen... Um... This is kind of like reminding me of like the legend of Billie Jean. Yeah, it's got that same aspect where like more and more girls come come out from the fringes right. and start adopting like the way they look as like a power symbol. Yeah, when you were saying that, I'm like, this totally reminds me of something. Yeah, legend but this is Billie like Jean. a punk scene version of that, which is an interesting. <laughs> and no take. Christian Slater. Yeah, instead of Christian Slater, you get like yeah members of the Sex Pistols and um, the Tubes, who are also in oh, Xanadu. The Tubes is not the she's a beauty. I guess. Right? <laughs> I don't know them well. All I know is that I just saw Xanadu and the <laughs> Fabulous Stains in the uh, same week. Whoa. And I was like, those are the same weirdos. Like, seeing the same, like, the bass player with the uh, ridiculous new wave glasses and the big um, curly hair in both films was, like, unmistakable. Like, oh, that's the same guy. Uh, I did not expect <laughs> to see amazing. him twice this week. Isn't that weird how that happens? Like, you watch a movie and then you watch something else, not really expecting it, and then, yeah. like, people reappear. Freaking Clint Howard, not to like spoiler, but barbed wire. Yeah, Clint Howard is is in one of the movies we're watching for this episode. Uh, so yeah, we are talking about barbed wire today. Uh, Pamela Anderson's masterpiece, where she tried to become a movie star by remaking Casablanca as a biker chick sci-fi dystopia, which I don't know why that was an idea that someone had, but it is on film. And it works. <laughs> sort of. We'll get into that. Um, and before we talk about that, we're also going to be talking about another movie from the 80s uh, starring uh, Shelley Long, who's another person we love very much. Yes. And all that's come up to you right, right now. now. May I speak with Velda Plender, please? Oh... Well, will you take a message, please? Will you tell her that troop leader Neffler called and her recommendation for a campsite was totally unsuitable? There were no outlets, and, and there was dirt and bugs, and, and it rains there. So anyway, we've, we found a place that's much more us, and if any of the other parents call, you'll tell them that we're at the Beverly Hills Hotel? Thank you. And now it's time for our Movie of the Minute segment. Uh, this is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. Brittany, what did you make me watch this time? I made Brandon watch one of my all-time favorite movies, Troop Beverly Hills, a 1989 adventure comedy classic <laughs> starring Miss Shelley Long. 
I think that she doesn't get enough credit for how funny she really is as an actress. You know, she's played in great movies such as True Beverly Hills, Hello Again, where she comes back from the dead, but in a funny way, and the Brady Bunch movie and Brady Bunch sequel. And you made me watch uh, The Boyfriend School. And Boyfriend? Oh! Yeah, she's she's really funny in that. She's just so, so funny, and I don't think she gets enough credit for being as, you know, like one of the best funny ladies of our time, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I love her. So, Troop Beverly Hills is late 80s, but it's so 80s that, oh, you could just vomit. It's it's very intense. Um, And this was sort of like when Beverly Hills was like the shit. I don't think Beverly Hills is like that big of a deal right now. I don't think anyone really aspires to go to Beverly Hills. Yeah, there's it's more like, like New York and there's stuff like, like that. Early Portland. sequences in this movie where they go shopping on Rodeo Drive, and it's like a love letter to like shopping malls. Right. Uh, I feel like this is like peak <laughs> Mall Rodeo life. Drive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, so true. So Shelley Long is Phyllis Sneffler. And she is this insanely wealthy woman, sort of like a socialite in Beverly Hills. And she is going through a divorce um, from her husband, who is known as the Muffler Man. So her daughter is in the Wilderness Girls, which is sort of like a Girl Scout type troop thing. I don't really know how like Girl Scout and all that kind of stuff works, but it's something like that. And they're sort of this unsuccessful troop because it's a bunch of hoity-toity Beverly Hills girls that don't know anything about the wilderness. So everyone always bails on them. They don't really get to do much and it's just super, super sad. And then Phyllis is like, you know what? I'm going to be your troop leader. And she does the damn thing. And there's a, she has a couple of hiccups along the way. But it's a really good movie, like, other than being insanely funny, it kind of helped me not judge, like, spoiled rich girls as much as I, like, initially did. Um, You know, because all these girls, like, have everything, their parents are loaded, they're driving around Rolls Royces, they're going yachts for their little parties and things like that, but they all have, like horrible like family problems you know like their parents work a bunch they never see them and phyllis sort of steps in as like this you know den mother and really um helps bring the girls together and they're all really i don't know they all kind of help each other out and it's really sweet so it helped me like not judge people for being rich and snooty-ish i think that's like the most interesting part of the movie (laughs) is that it's kind of like a slobs versus snobs comedy except that you like the snobs more than the slobs 100 like these are kids whose parents are at, like famous athletes. Uh, one's a romance novelist right. and a director. One of the kids is like a child star themselves. So they're like yes. live in Beverly Hills and they like have all this opulence around them. And they are the ones that are like the underdogs in this story because they're trying to like enter this Girl Scouts arena where they have to like go camping and rough it and, right. s- and visit nature and things like that's just not their territory. Right. And so you don't hate them for it. Yeah. It's kind of like a weird <laughs> flip of that like dynamic where you're like, right. oh, these poor rich girls, like they have to like deal with the skunk and rain. Like how are Let they going to get stay through? at the Beverly Hills hotel? Damn it. You yeah. Know? Like they had a rough night. You feel bad for them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, also wanted to mention that Miss Tori Spelling is one of the red feathers. So a strange <laughs> thing about she gets her start, I guess. So a strange thing about Tori Spelling popping up in this movie. Yes. She's only in one scene, right? Or maybe in a couple scenes. Yeah, she just like makes a mean face a couple of times. Uh, and she's playing one of the girls that are is in one of the the troops that knows the wilderness well that we're supposed to hate for the red being feathers. so militaristic mm-hmm. about like nature. 
This was released a year before she started playing Donna Martin on Beverly Hills 90210. Whoa! She looks like such a child in this like movie. Like she's 12. I don't know <laughs> what kind of growth spurt she had between them or <laughs> what kind of like... Hormones. Hormones in the chicken or, or something. Or maybe this was in like a oh, very long post-production uh, cycle after maybe. it was filmed. But it's crazy how how like childlike she looks in this film. And then immediately after, she's, like, a teenager in 90210, where, like, one of the running jokes about that show is how people in that show look much older than teenage. So, yeah, that really threw me off. I was like, that cannot be Tori Spelling. It's basically her in Donna Martin mode. It's, like, her right on the verge of playing that character. This is so Illuminati. It's not even funny. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. But, well, um... How did you like True Beverly Hills? <laughs> well, I, I think that that 80s, like, nostalgia is part of it. Like, oh, wow, that's Donna Martin. Or, like, the main little girl in the movie who plays Shelley Long's daughter is Jenny Anna. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get to see, like, young Jenny Lewis. Right. Or, um, I don't know. Pia Doc- Zadora. <laughs> Pia Zadora, Cheech Marin. Right. Dr. Joyce. Joyce uh, Robin Leach. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, like, an 80s nostalgia factor to that. Um, but like I said, I think the most interesting thing to me was like taking this like Reagan era materialism and uh-huh. then making it like the underdog when usually you go to these like summer camp movies where like those rich kids are like people you want to throw rocks at and not people that you want to like root for. I thought that was kind of an interesting inverse of like how that usually works. And it's it's a strange movie to me in the sense that, okay, you have this very Reagan era argument at the center of the film where Shelley Long and Craig T. Nelson are getting a divorce because she shops too much <laughs> and he works too often. She coupon clipped his way through college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have a past where she wasn't quite as material right. focused, but now she's all about Beverly looking Hills good to, to be his trophy wife. So you have that aspect, and you would think in a screenplay where she has to take over this troop of Girl Scouts that she would have been, like, sentenced to this by, like, community service. Right. Like, it seems like there's, like, a scene missing where she gets caught stealing a, a pea coat and gets, like, sentenced to being, like, the tr- Wilderness the troop Girls leader. troop leader. But instead, she kind of does it out of the kindness of her heart. She's such a good person. Yeah, and I like that subversion of, of expectation here, where, like, these girls are, like, really good kids, and they don't have anyone in this Beverly Hills realm that, like, actually wants to spend time with them. Right. And their biggest hurdle to overcome is that these troop leaders sort of come and go. It's, like, kind of like a charity that they want to be seen doing, but right. ne- not necessarily want to put in the time. And she really gets into it. She, like, makes their uniforms look better the khaki fashion show yeah she puts on a fashion show where they like uh sell cookies to like a song that they came up with themselves called cookie time so they all put on like a a cookie time show together um a box of them would be so nice (laughs) you know the cookie time lyrics because i can't remember that too a box of them would be so nice buy some cheap bad even twice the price buy some come on down Come on down, it's cookie time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt like cookie time was like a a, oh, a song so they wanted to take off, and it just did not. But I, I like that with me. She also makes like patches for them that are like special to like their skills instead of like the regular Girl Scout skills. Right. And it's funny to see like uh, these like evil Girl Scout board members who want to get them like ejected. Velma Plunder. Yeah. Who probably is not as rich as them and, like, resents them coming into her territory and, like, taking over something she's good at. 
but you never like really resent them for it. Like you kind of just respect them <laughs> for like finding their place in this world. Right. And they totally did. Yeah. Um, I love the um, Phyllis Neffler quotes. This one and that one out. I'll take the rest. <laughs> or I have a black belt and shopping. Like, you know, she has a lot of like good, memorable, awesome, like one line quotes in this movie. I know you already, I already mentioned um, Boyfriend School, which is like a movie you made us watch for a movie of the yes. month. Uh, there's another movie of the month <laughs> selection you made us watch called Big Business, uh, <laughs> where Bette Midler plays like this over the top ad exec in like the middle of New York City in the 80s. And she has like almost the exact same wardrobe as Shelley Long in this movie. Uh, and the same kind of, like, one-liner delivery style is what you're saying. It's, like, super sassy. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hardcore into it. Those giant shoulder pads. Oh, and, like, God. That, like, triangle cut. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She's just, ah, uh, she's just so fabulous in that movie. Oh, what did you think about the Kmart references? I didn't catch that. Annie, who is the sort of, like, undercover wilderness lady that goes to help True Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. and she's really, like, spying to try to get them, like, disqualified from the jamboree and everything like that, but she ends up, like, you know, being like, hey, this lady's super nice, and she's treating me better than all these other, you know, assholes over at, you know, the, the border wilderness ladies. Well, whenever um, Velma... Plunder threatens Annie. She's like, you'll be selling yarn balls at Kmart. You know, yeah. like makes those threats. And then at the end of the movie, it's like blue light special cookies. <laughs> and she's in Kmart. Doesn't I that, forgot how big Kmart was. <laughs> doesn't that play right into like the slobs versus snobs thing where like this lady had like a nice job <laughs> at Girl Scouts and she's the villain. Uh, and we are supposed to celebrate her getting kicked down to, like... Harassed to Kmart. This, like, mini- menial job where she's, like, in the Kmart checkout line. Well, because she was mean. She it just was sh- mean. Mean. When you're mean, it doesn't matter what's going on. <laughs> you know, karma's gonna bite you in the ass. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I would love working at Kmart. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing how the movie, bad. like, makes you feel for all these girls who, like, have everything in the world. Um, right. But they, like, don't have someone who, like, pays attention to them. I'm so surprised that, like, Phyllis Neffler isn't, like, a more popular drag routine. Yeah, definitely. That would, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I could see that, um, especially <laughs> since she has those, like, long uh, cigarette holders. Long cigarette holders. There's a bead missing on her, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. all the shoes, the sequin dresses. There's oh, a lot of uh, there's a lot of cigarette smoking for this being like a kids movie, right? So many cigs. <laughs> yeah. What I did another thing I wanted to mention. There's so many things in this movie, and I keep remembering all of them. It's so great when they're at the Beverly Hills Hotel after their campsite got rained out. Well, yeah, let's get into the that scary story. So basically, they go <laughs> to have their like camping night to earn their camping badge, right? And they decide to camp under the Hollywood Hills sign, <laughs> and the second it rains, they all flip out. And then end up camping instead in front of the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel like in a fireplace in a suite. <laughs> yeah. And that's like their version of roughing it. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> and um, So they tell a campfire story around that. Right. And then she's like, you know, all the girls are like gather around Phyllis. And then, you know, she's talking about how she went into a salon and there was like a new hairstylist there. And he says, I'm going to give you a body wave. And then when he turned me around and I looked at myself in the mirror, he permed me. And they all started screaming. (laughs) Oh, it's just so good. And then um, Velma comes in the next day and then Phyllis is like, orange juice, croissants. (laughs) 
And there's a uh, Pee Wee Herman playing on the TV, which is like another <laughs> big underpants. Yeah, it's kind of funny in that scene, and, th- and this kind of plays into like the '80s nostalgia thing. There's Pee Wee's ha- Playhouse is playing in the background, and you do see a second of Pee Wee like playing with giant underpants, like you said, like a giant pair of like boxer briefs or re- regular briefs. But yeah, and then for the rest of the scene, they just keep using Pee Wee in the background to punctuate jokes, like singers, so <laughs> and they just zoom in on it. Yeah. I kind of like that touch, and it, it kind of plays into, like, how this works as, like, an 80s, like, time capsule. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very true. Yeah. God, it is such a good movie. And then there's the opening credits, where which are an 80s time capsule, animated by John Kay, who did Ren and Stimpy. Oh, shut up. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, and that one Bjork music video. I think it's I Miss You. And he did the, the but, Yogi Bear one. It was, uh, like, a weird... Maybe so. Boo-boo Yogi Bear <laughs> thing he did. Okay. He's a strange man. <laughs> it's um, interesting. And uh, so it's got these like really kind of gross uh, John Kay illustrations paired with '80s Beach Boys. And the thing is, that song you can make it big. I tried finding like the version in the movie, so I like I you know downloaded the album, and it doesn't sound the same. Oh no! It's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as like. It's not as like electro. Oh, uh, it's like more somber. Yeah, it's just kind of like more like Beach Boysy, like without the eighties <laughs> Beach Boys. Oh, it's like so not good. not not even peak Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were trying. That's like right before they started showing up on like episodes of Full House or something, singing Kokomo. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know. I I feel like I okay. I borrowed your copy of it, and you had like a full screen pan and scan DVD. So it wasn't even, like, the full, like, picture. It was, like, a, like, very old copy. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was kind of, like, the perfect way to watch this movie in, in yeah. some ways. It's, Usually that's, like, disrespectful for, like, an art film or something. But, like, in this case, it was like, it oh, works. this is, like, this kind of movie. It's a movie you hold on to mm-hmm. for a long time. It's got, like, kind of a VHS, like, warmth to it. <laughs> right. Uh, and the um the DVD is a cookie. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's like a snickerdoodle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know, some some 80s stuff did kind of, like, get gross in a weird way, too. And besides, like, the celebration of materialism, which I find hilarious. Right. uh, And that that ages well. Um, There's also, like, scenes of, like, Shelley Long wearing, like, an Indian headdress for, like, an extended period of time. Right. Starts to feel kind of gross. you're like, like, oh, shit. There's, like, a Mexican (laughs) housemaid that's, like, always, like, the butt of the joke. The only black girl in the troupe, her dad is, like, the athlete. They go through a long sequence of showing you what every parent does, and her dad's like a boxer, and that's like what validates Shake her presence. Shake the man's presence. hand, dad, and let's be on our way. <laughs> I love her though. Yeah, she's great. No, she's great. <laughs> yeah, and all the kids are right. all the kids in the movie are really great. It's kind of weird that the story is more about Shelley Long's growth and not like their growth oh, as a their troop. Friendship. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we don't really get to see them outside of, like a few punchlines. Like they come in to like make her funnier. Uh, right. And you're supposed to sort of laugh at, like, how her, like, 80s materialism isn't fit for nature. And, like, how she tries to, like, impose the Girl Scouts thing, or transpose the Girl Scouts whole aesthetic to her lifestyle instead of the other way around. Their growth really is just appreciating that she's there. And you, you're, the whole movie is just sort of hinges on whether or not you think Shelley Long is, like, fun to hang around with. There's something so comforting about her in this movie mm-hmm. where... It's, you know, whenever I have a cold or something like that, I'm just like, oh, what if I could be in that bed with the silk sheets <laughs> and her just being like, all right, Brittany, here's some chicken soup and I'll be back <laughs> to check on you later. And then she gets in the bed and then we watch like all these movies together while she hands me tissues. I don't know. Like there's something, I don't know. Like I feel comfortable around her. Yeah. I don't even know her. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I really appreciated her in this film, and I could see how, like I said, like the whole thing kind of hinges on whether or not you love her presence. Uh, and I her. do. I think she's like really adorable in the film, and even when she's like acting out of desperation and like mm-hmm. she's pretty mean to her ex-husband's uh, new lover in like kind of a gross way. Lifesaver scene. It's totally forgivable. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Right, where, I mean, you get it. I mean, she's just, she's frustrated. Yeah, she's and a, she's alone. Yeah. yeah. And she put in all in this work. big ass house. She put in all <laughs> this work to this marriage that dissolves before the film starts. She made him the muffler man. <laughs> oh. So that's kind of like the mattress king on, like, uh, was that Seinfeld or whatever? <laughs> like, he, uh, he just comes out and does these, like, gross commercial spots where he's the muffler man and kind of makes a joke out of himself. It's kind of cool how he starts to appreciate Phyllis more at the end. Mm-hmm. And he even, like, supports the troop, and they have that cool chant where it's like, we're the girls from Beverly Hills, shopping is our greatest thrill. <laughs> Do you think he deserves her at the end of the movie, though? Because I feel like she Fuck does a lot of growing. No, he does I know. not grow at all. It's almost kind of annoying, because it's like, she's such an amazing person, and... It's almost like she had to prove herself to him, mm-hmm. but he should have known it all along and appreciated right. her. I don't know. She could have done so much better than the muffler man. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. No one in this world is good enough for Shelley Long. Really? No. <laughs> the old democracy is overthrown by a tyrannical new group called the Congressional Directorate. Every city in the nation is under martial law, except one, Steel Harbor, the last free city. A secluded island of shrinking independence, it is a place marked by chaos and crime, providing a home for a new kind of mercenary. Don't call me babe. And now it's time for our feature conversation. Uh, This week we're going to be talking about the classic film, with plenty to say about war and... Uh, what it means to be neutral in a politicized state and what it means to like really put your neck out on the line for people and save the world through like a single person's actions. Uh, and that would be Pamela Anderson's 1996 film Barbed Wire. But uh, before we can understand what Barbed Wire really means to us, uh, we're going to look back to the film it's riffing on, which is 1942's Casablanca. Joining us for this conversation is my high school friend and former music collaborator, Jordan Campo. Superstar. Yes, thank you. I invited you for a couple reasons. You were supposed to be on our video game episode a while back. Right, um, right. But besides video games, something you know an awful lot about is war history. Uh, yeah. Specifically World War II. Well, history in general. I think more specifically would be ancient Mediterranean. But yeah, World War II is what got me into it as a child. So <laughs> that's uh, that's also a focus. Well, I guess I should put it this way. You know more about World War II than anyone else I know. <laughs> okay, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> So, Casablanca, made in 1942, released during the war, and it was made a few years after America had actually gotten involved, and it's set a few years before its actual release date, so that we're still a neutral territory within the greater conflict. Is that correct? I believe so. Well, it's made in 42. Yeah, I don't know. it was made in 42. We got in officially December 9th, 1941, but two days after Pearl Harbor, I think. So the movie is sort of banking on that as, like, making the movie important. 
And if you look right. at its advertising at the time, it's like, you can tell this movie it's, is important. It's about the war. And look at this cast. We have Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains and Peter Lorre, who's in the movie for like, I don't know, 30 seconds. It's selling itself as like this major theatrical event. And it's about the fact that you cannot remain neutral within this, this current war climate. It's about like how isolationism is not something that you can maintain. What experience do you have with Casablanca as a movie? Like, how many times have you seen it? When did you first um, see it? Um, I actually just watched it last week for the first time since I was a teenager, young teenager. This was um, my first time seeing it too. Brittany? My first time. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> I, I, I want to say I watched like maybe more than half of it, maybe like five or six years ago again, but you know, this is definitely my first full sitting as an adult. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it is really interesting, especially for Bogart to be the American, the neutral and everything. Yeah. It had been in production comes out in 42 and uh you know not neutral making anymore. bullets as fast as we can yeah so. but yeah the, i mean the setting is great i mean it's it's still crazy to think that such a big production like this especially a drama in the setting of world war ii came out during it considering how mobilized we as a society were it's yeah. insane okay so this is specifically set in uh french controlled north africa right humphrey bogart like you said is playing rick um, and he owns this gambling den that he's sort of like fashioned as a mini version of America. It's like this <laughs> small neutral territory within this French controlled sub society where he is helping people get travel papers to go to America, but not for any sort of political cause. It's like just to make money. Mm-hmm. And right. like he tries to remain neutral in all things, in romance and in war. He is like a man without <laughs> affiliation. He has no facial expression. Yeah. Yeah. He's like totally <laughs> right. stoic. Yeah. Right. Until... But uh, his past is revealed to show that he used to give a shit. Right. Absolutely. And that's when Ingrid Bergman <laughs> comes in. She asks his, like, piano player to play as time goes by. Sam. Play it again, Sam. <laughs> um, so she asks him to play the song, and all these, like, feelings start to come flooding back to him, where he had this past romance with Ingrid Bergman in Paris uh, before Nazis sort of like, both kicked them out of the country. And it's kind of like this weird stasis that everyone's in. It's like a purgatory where they all want to remain neutral and outside, like, Nazi control and Nazi impact. Mm-hmm. But it's not something they can maintain forever so Brittany, you're watching this for the first time it's the 2010s what do you think about casablanca i really liked it the beginning of it is sort of like trying to explain everything that's going on at that time period within like five minutes so it just comes at you like yeah it starts with like a newsreel so simple like not like simple in a bad way but Mm -hmm. it's just sort of like majority of it takes place at rick's freaking cafe american yeah yeah and you know you have like a handful of characters there's not like a butt ton of like characters you got to keep up with which i liked yeah it's definitely a focused cast it's just like a really like yeah pretty movie you can't get lost (laughs) in the characters right in the cast or trying to keep up with what's going on i mean it's right i was scared shitless at the beginning because i'm like oh no i I think that's like what's hard to latch onto it is how quickly it moves like the Mm -hmm. it starts with that news i was surprised by that well when you think of like big important movies like this like lawrence of arabia or something Mm -hmm. there's a they're like a deep setting in yeah they're like three hours long well it's a especially for movies of this time okay we're gonna start in first gear and we're gonna get there for a while and we're mm-hmm. gonna paint with the broadest simplest explanations of what is going on and right. 
bigger imagery and everything. And now, and with that, it was just like, here we are. You know what's going yeah. on, right? You're alive right now, aren't you? <laughs> here we go. We're, we're, yeah, there's a war happening. You're watching this. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's interesting how there's just like, you know, so much shit is going on in the background. You know, there's a freaking war going on. Everybody, you know, all this insanity happening, but you're so focused on like, you know, Rick and Ilsa. Ilsa? I don't remember her name. Ilsa? I, can't. I don't either. <laughs> it's like Ilsa, but Ilsa. Yeah, it has to be that. It's I-L-S-A. I'm really bad at like conflating uh, people's mm. actor names with their character names. Like Ingrid. I just call it Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And she's like gorgeous in this film. I feel like some of the most beautiful so, yeah, images yeah. are just shots of Ingrid Bergman's eyes welling with tears. Yes, the like, dewy eyes. Like really beautiful oh teary eyes. Here's something Same. one of you may be able to help me with. There's a moment in the very beginning of the film when she arrives with her husband and, okay, what I'm going to say is this seems like it is American racism slipped into the script unknowingly. In the 40s? <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't sign up for this shit. Um... <laughs> So they're in French North Africa in a bar full of primarily French and Germans and everyone else in between that was lucky to get out of wherever they're from. Right. right. Central Europe, Western Europe. She gets down and sits and she's playing coy like she doesn't know who the piano player is mm -hmm. and says, oh, who's that boy playing the piano? The 50-something-year-old black man. It would be different if this was set in like an American diner... Or, or, or club, and you use that language, the French or anybody else working there, or, you know, Algerian, Moroccan, mm -hmm. all, all the North African peoples, that slang doesn't translate. That's not something that's used. That's very American South. Right. Yeah. So, and that, like, caught me off guard. I had to, like, check myself yeah. for a second. I'm like, that's pretty awkward. Uh, she's like, oh, who's that boy? And it's like, you're not in the U.S. This is not yeah. This is not a Nashville uh, music hall. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually like a... Okay, That this movie was made 70 years ago. Right. So yeah, that terminology is super awkward. But that is a pretty good role for a black actor in a, like a major Hollywood film. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Sam has like a personality and he has like, he's not a servant really. He's a performer, right. but he has that's like lines and he, he is on like an even playing field outside that, of that American South context. He's like Rick's no, yeah, Well, that's why it was, it was out of place for me. None of that was at play. Like mm -hmm. there was no racism in his character or anything. Well, maybe little bits on, you know, how much mm -hmm. he relied on Rick and everything. The fact that that just that one little usage mm -hmm. was slipped in there, and I'm like, oh, that writing just yeah, they probably didn't in. notice even what they were saying because nobody noticed. Yeah. They're just like, oh yeah, the boy. Like she asks who the boy is, yeah, mm -hmm. and it just happens. Jeez. That one word was like so out of place. That might be like an accidental time capsule. Well, okay, you say the movie moves pretty quickly, and that's what struck me like watching it, mm -hmm. but not in like a necessarily positive way. Like, I'm talking about earlier how the movie feels like purgatory, mm -hmm. and, like, people are in this, like, sort of transitive state where they can't remain the way they are. Like, uh, Rick's best friend in this uh, North African climate is this German officer who sort of prides himself in being outside Nazi control, and it's like, that can't last forever, dude. Like, they're gonna come in right. and take over your operation. And I don't feel like the pace 
plays into that vibe particularly well. Like, I don't feel like it accentuates what the movie's doing in a good way. Recently, I just saw Citizen Kane for the first time, uh, and that movie has the same rapid pace to it, and for some reason, it worked for me really well in Citizen Kane, and in this movie, I kind of wanted to sink more into the character relationships. Like, I wanted to see more of Sam and Ingrid Bergman interacting. Like, I wanted to see... I wanted to see more of Ingrid Bergman walking in on Humphrey Bogart drinking by himself and then having, like, a knockout kind of, like, verbal sparring match. And all those moments go by very quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it almost feels like I need to watch this movie, like, 20 more times to even, like, get a full handle on it. I've read Roger Ebert's review for it, and he said something about how the movie doesn't become more normal to him. Like, it doesn't dull over time. The more he watches it, the more he appreciates it. Hmm. And I can see how that could be possible because, like, all the great lines from the movie of, like, play it again, Sam, and here's looking at you, kid. Like, it's almost like a greatest hits of, like, famous movie lines. And I can see how, like, seeing that over and over again would be like like listening to your favorite album a second time, you know? Yeah. Here's right. looking at you, kid. He says it, what, three eight times? To- oh, yeah. Only three times? It feels like more than three. Jesus. Maybe four. My God. Yeah. I felt like the second half of the film was nothing but him <laughs> saying that. Yeah, before watching this movie, the only thing I knew about Casablanca was the quote that Barbara Streisand says in What's Up, Doc? <laughs> where she's like, of all the gen joints and all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine. Yeah. And she starts playing the piano. The movie's been quoted to death, kind of. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. This is sort of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I kind of like how there isn't, like, really strong connections between the characters. Like, it just kind of really puts you in the place of how people must have felt. Like, it's just, it's really depressing. I don't know. It just made me, like, feel more depressed while watching it. <laughs> but I think that's a good thing for this movie. <laughs> Well, it definitely fits their romance in Paris, like, that Humphrey Bogart and Inger Bergman had. Oh, because it's like, holy shit, they're so happy and all the flashbacks. Yeah. And then, like, right. so they just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, there's, like, one drunken montage of their, like, love tryst in Paris, and, like, <laughs> you kind of feel swept up in it, uh, and that's when, like, the rapid pace really works for the film, mm-hmm. is that one, like, stretch where, like, you see them fall in love, and then, right. like... It's almost like a misconnection. Like, they have to, like, leave each other because um, she has to go back to her husband who's, like, a political refugee. I think that part really works well. But, like, the scene in the movie that, like, I think was my favorite scene of the whole thing is when it actually slows down and there's a scene where the German officers are singing, like, the Nazi anthem and oh, yeah. the French like... patriots who, like, this mm-hmm. is their territory, they teary-eyed sing the French national anthem on top of it and, like, yeah. overpower them. And that scene actually stops the uh, flow of the movie, like, dead in its tracks and sort of sinks so into the moment. Yeah. It really is. I, know, I love that That part. was my most memorable scene of the film since I was a kid was that. Right. It was like yeah. a Rudy moment. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> Like that more than any of the famous lines right. and catchphrases, all of that, like that was yeah. the one that stuck out to me the most. It gives you chills. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's still it's, very it's, effective. I, I, that's my, I that probably because it's like my favorite scene of the movie. I don't know why this like weirded me out so much, but whenever Ilsa, aka Ingrid, refers to her husband, it's always Victor Laszlo. Victor <laughs> Laszlo. He's a two-namer. It's never just Victor. Yeah. It's just oh, like, yeah. she calls him Victor Laszlo, like his first and last name. It's so weird. Well, he's like uh. an important political figure so I could see like he made himself I mean did Angelina like Jolie be like oh Brad Pitt's home oh, yeah so <laughs> he got Pitt. she just got used <laughs> to using weird. that baggage maybe like, yeah that, that title maybe that makes so sense now. yeah I didn't I didn't even think of it to be <laughs> yeah. honest I was like that's that's kind of interesting and then she kept doing it and I'm like that's so weird <laughs> <laughs> that's so strange it's pretty impersonal in like a weird way like it's not right she doesn't have like a love love name for him maybe that's why maybe it's because she didn't truly love him she probably just cared about him a bunch well that's the push and pull of the movie right 
right? She's like stuck between Rick and Victor Laszlo and she like right. uh, can't decide and she needs Rick to decide for her. And like that's what breaks mm-hmm. him out of being a neutral party is that he has to like make a decision based on his own personal wants and the needs of a country and like defeating these Nazi assholes. Rick right. has to like actually like stick his neck out and like make a choice. And he does it. I love that. Like how he just sort of becomes this like badass at the mm-hmm. end where he was just kind of like, I don't want to say like a dick. In the beginning, he just was just kind of like, I don't give a shit. He's hardened. Whatever. He's like calloused. Yeah, totally. Like an old foot. But that's also just such a product of the acting at the time and what everyone wanted. The stoned stoic that has to constantly be unbothered by everything around them. It's so cool on paper, and especially back then, because people wanted adventure and an escape more than anything, as much as we do now, but... Obviously, things have evolved. It's classic masculinity is what they're selling. Right, Uh, absolutely. That's John Wayne getting shot at and going, I don't care about that. (laughs) And then Fred Astaire comes in. But then you right. get you do get scenes of him where he is affected, like that scene of him drinking alone, and Sam is trying to like convince him to go home or like talk about something pleasant. And he is affected, but he does feel the need to put on that right. front of like yeah. I'm neutral in all things. Like I don't care. I'm yeah, just myself. He, def- he absolutely opens up, mm-hmm. but you know the first. 30 minutes of the movie, especially watching it in 2017, you're hit in the Mm -hmm. face by that if you're at all sensitive to that picture-perfect stoic attitude and, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, yeah, he's, like, almost being used as an object instead of, like, an actor. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, But it's weird how that's clashed with the rapidity of the movie and how, like, how this does come in at, like, an hour and 40 minutes, which is pretty insane for, like, a prestigious film of this time to be that short. It's crazy how, like, that feels very modern to me in, like, the way that, like, Citizen Kane is heralded as like bringing in modern filmmaking and I feel like this movie has a similar energy to that but almost to the point where it's not quite needed yet like it's almost like that fast modernity is not really fitting the material for me but like I said maybe I do need to see it a few more times and it it is beautifully shot like the Mm -hmm. cinematography and the lighting oh yeah is classic old Hollywood like attention to detail one of my favorite scenes in the movie and possibly like one of my favorite scenes of like maybe all time now is whenever um he's reading her letter when they're getting ready to leave Paris and she doesn't show up and it's like it's raining and all the inks just like oh yeah fall like you know like running and he's looking super super sad I don't know I just love that scene that would be like the appropriate moment for him to cry in public because you can't see his tears like wiping off yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) just think it's rain just do it (laughs) okay so 50 years after Casablanca is released uh, a music video director (laughs) is hired to adapt a comic book about a biker chick from Dark Horse Comics. It's called Barbed Wire, starring Pamela Anderson Lee when she was still married to Tommy Lee from... What band does he drum for? I can't Motley, Motley Crue. Motley Crue. Yep. Okay. What's wrong with you? I, I do not listen to Cock Rock. Dude. But this movie does... <laughs> listen to a lot of Motley Crue. <laughs> so this movie does listen to Cock Rock, though. Because this album. Casablanca riff starring Pamela Anderson starts with a Cock Rock cover of <laughs> Word Up by Cammy Uh, It's a two and a half minute stretch of Pamela Anderson doing sort of a flash dance routine, but it's like BDSM themed. She's dressed in leather and they're like hosing her down while she strips on this chair and like hanging from the ceiling. It's like guys in suits with like clear ponchos. Yeah. (laughs) So like classic stripper uh, outfits um, and stripper patrons. And basically the movie starts letting you know it's 2017. Uh, The only things that have still carried over into 2017 are strippers, 
Nazis and rap rock and side hustles and side hustles. That feels <laughs> and, very and accurate. Gadzooks. What is a gadzook? Oh, the gadzooks, the store. Oh, the store. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that is actually a pretty accurate version of the year that we're living in right now. Yeah, the Nazis and cock rock. It's the same. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know who gave them the time machine, but it is exactly... It's a very prescient film. Okay, so Pamela Anderson is playing Humphrey Bogart's part, right? Yeah. The movie is a gender-flipped version of Casablanca. She owns a illegal but sort of allowed business. Hammerhead. But instead of a gambling den... The last free city. Steel Harbor is the last free city in 2017. (laughs) uh, After the second American Civil War. During the second American Civil War. Still happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also feels true to the times. Right. (laughs) This is how you stay true to Casablanca. Uh, Instead of letting people through to America, which is a neutral territory, she's helping people go to Canada. Instead of getting papers, they get these retinal lenses that um, allow them to get scanned uh, instead of their papers. Brittany, what what are your overall thoughts on Barbed Wire? I have watched Barbed Wire a lot. I was watching Casablanca, and I'm like, holy shit, this is like Barbed Wire. <laughs> a little bit. Holy God. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I didn't, when you said that, you went like, reverse. Ooh. Yeah, it was reverse, and it was insane. But I forgot how freaking huge Pamela Anderson used to be. Oh, my God. Like, the way Kim Kardashian is now, but bigger. She, she sold was just so many breast implants oh God. Now in it's, Western civilization. Right. And it, like, it brought me back because I'm like, all these women started getting, like, breast implants during that, like, Pamela Anderson time period. And now it's, like, the Brazilian butt lift. It's just kind of like, what's happening? Uh, Babe Watch was her, her big... Uh, Babe Baywatch Watch. was yeah. her big... Uh, Close Baywatch enough. Babe Watch was yeah. really what the show was. Yeah. yeah. But, um... Yeah. Working title. <laughs> and I think, like, I started kind of, like, remembering, you know, what if they would have picked someone else? I mean, she was pretty big, but I'm like, what if they would have picked, like, Anna Nicole Smith or someone else that was kind of, like, big at that more time? More cartoonish. More cartoonish. <laughs> Make it more of a cartoon. And Anna actually had an action film that she starred in that was, like, what? super horrible. There's a helicopter roof scene, and she's, like, in a jumper suit. I'll think about that later. Well, even Paris Hilton had Repo Man the Genetic Opera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they've all had their time. Totally, totally. <laughs> and she's pretty, like, empowering in the movie I think mm-hmm. even though I don't know I kind of like go back and forth with it kind of like you were saying with <laughs> Shelley Long in uh, Beverly Hills True Beverly, Beverly Hills. Hills could not get the title what right uh, so like you were saying with Shelley Long in that movie um, I feel like a drag routine version of this would be so oh. perfect because oh there God. is like leather a power and motorcycles yeah like a bike helmet chick. for leather there's like an empowering <laughs> aspect to her character right that maybe she doesn't exude like she kind of she... mumbles her way through her lines in the film like she's not ready to star in a movie um, yeah but there's so much effort <laughs> yeah, like she it's it's terrible but there's so much effort you know she yeah. did like a lot of her own stunts in fucking Hill Huh. That's pretty impressive. She's, yeah. she's that's pretty some, amazing. That's some drag queen shit right there, though. Holy shit, yes. Yeah. I don't um, know. I feel like someone was watching Casablanca was like, I wish Humphrey Bogart had no charisma and like <laughs> huge tits. And like yeah. that's how this movie got made. Like <laughs> But she it's not like she wasn't trump like she was putting full for you know, her yeah. full effort. <laughs> it she's a terrible actress. 
but she's putting her effort out there. She's not sleeping at the wheel. I can oh, see God, that. No. Yeah. yeah. You know, she owns this bar and it seems to be pretty successful, but she still like has like all these side hustles. She strips. Part of me is just like she rescues the kids. wage gap still exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to make a <laughs> living and <laughs> you know. <laughs> you own like the biggest bar and still harbor, but you also rescue kids. <laughs> <laughs> and deliver them under an underpass uh, so, for the yeah. opening to scene. To pull this into that, so I know we were talking about Troop Beverly Hills earlier, Shelley Long, we just kind of brought her up again. Her brother, Charlie, was Eric Dittmeyer in the Brady Bunch movie. Oh, no. So there's your connection right there between Troop Beverly Hills. That man also had no charisma <laughs> in this film. Well, he was blind. It's not his fault. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the only people who, like, kind of shine here are Clint Howard, uh, who... Ice cream man! Who was an ice cream man. And Udo Kier, who plays her, like... He is, like, Sam in the movie. He's, mm-hmm. But his name is Curly in this instance, uh, because he wears a curly wig for 20 seconds What about film. Camille? Who's Camille? The Rottweiler. Her uh, secretary. I we'll, love Camille. Okay, we'll get to Camille in a bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so my personal experience with this movie, this is the second rated R film I can ever remember seeing. <laughs> My stepdad took me to see Johnny Mnemonic in 1995 with Keanu Reeves, which is like a real sleeper of a, like, yeah. a, as in you sleep through Step-dad's it. Stepdad's knocking him out the park for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a year later, I was what, like 10 years old when this movie came out? He took me to see Barbed Wire. So it's always had an impression on me because Pamela Anderson, both through this mean and through middle school, someone passing me a picture, she was like the first adult woman I saw naked, like... In a sexual context. Maybe, besides Carmen Electra, I think, like, those two are just, like, most people's, big nudie ladies. Most right. people's first celebrity sex tape as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that too, actually, for sure. That was, like, probably right. the that first was, pornography that was, I ever That was saw. the big thing, was mm-hmm. knowing someone who had that VHS cassette. <laughs> yeah. And you would make All elaborate, elaborate plans <laughs> to get to that person's house. <laughs> It's strange to me, too, because, like, it's not... She's not someone I'm particularly attracted to, even though... Like, usually when you hear someone like, oh, that's the first, like, sexual content I ever, like, consumed, like, Mm -hmm. that becomes, like, a fixation. Uh, And I never had that fixation with her... Other than this film, which I remember so like vividly, like certain scenes, like uh, there's a scene where she's in the bathtub with her gun, and like oh, her bubble bath gun, her old lover who is like the political figure, and he's like the male Ingrid Bergman in this film. Uh, he comes in <laughs> asking for papers to Canada. Who is Django Fett from Star Wars? Oh no! Holy <laughs> shit! Attack of the Clones. One more sin to add to George Lucas's uh, tally. I got halfway through that, and Django Fett walked into the room. Oh god! And I said, are you kidding me? So George I... Lucas saw barbed wire. <laughs> that's and my man. That's my fet. Wrap it up. <laughs> Scenes where like that, where she's in the bathtub, or that early stripper scene where she's like being hosed down. That sticks out to me. Like <sighs> iconic images from this film. But I'm watching it again. This is the second time I've seen it in my life. Like the first time since the theater. This was my very first. So many forgettable stretches of just nothing. Like such an empty movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, the m- thing that really impressed me about it, likely unintentionally uh, on their behalf. You have all of these uh, movies now, like all of the Asylum uh, movies and everything, all this try-hard B-movies. Like, yeah. Not B-movies, try. 
trying, but movies trying to be B movies. Right. Talking about like Sharknado and like right, mm-hmm. the, Sharktopus, especially and... the ones that miss the joke. You have a lot of like modern celebration of this, especially like modern appreciation of you know all your Verhovens and your Robocop and everything that leads to things like Turbo Kid happening and you know Kung Fury. There is an effort to celebrate this more. It's early 90s and 80s action movies and everything. What I'm getting at is none of those, no matter how hard they try today, could nail it as tightly as barbed wire does. <laughs> there, There is absolutely no way. As hard as they could possibly try, they wouldn't be able to edit it that tightly yeah. to encapsulate every piece of... You know, lame jokes, catch lines, all, all of this. But it's actually mm-hmm. edited very tightly. Well, it is made by a music video director. That I probably think explains that is it. very yeah. much a part of it. And I, I agree with you to a point. Like, the first two-thirds of the movie where they're in the club and there's, like, all this ridiculous production design where it's, like, biker chick futurism and there's, like, all this wet leather and, like, uh, cool. S&M lesbians making cool out band. while this, like, rock band plays. <laughs> Die cheerleader. Yeah. Is that what the band's called? Yeah. I tried so hard to figure that out. <laughs> there, Die Cheerleader. There's a barbed wire soundtrack. Yeah. So the band's called Die Cheerleader. Die Cheerleader. So that like there's this like all female <laughs> rock band on the stage of the club right. and everything's really beautiful. I feel like the movie so loses a lot of steam when it goes into daylight in the last third and they go meet the big villain, Big Fatso. Uh, and basically it's just like this like long running fat joke where like, oh, this guy eats a lot of chicken and donuts. What a fat ass. Right. Like it's not funny. And I feel like the movie kind of loses a lot of steam and that's what I don't want to recommend it is what you're saying that rapid fire music video beauty everything's tight they're making there you got your one-liners you got your everything set up and it's just like compressed here it is that's that scene here it is but yeah it's, it's almost like a workout video yeah <laughs> where you get your cool down at the end yeah where it's like that's how i feel so once shit. she goes outside I, yeah. I felt like i could breathe like right. i felt like i Which wasn't kind claustrophobic nice. you know anymore. still harbored not that i'm praising shit. it like oh that's when it picked up but <laughs> uh, but all of the the early setting mm-hmm. of it was very claustrophobic you know opposite of casablanca where it's you know it's claustrophobic <laughs> but it's calm it's not a corn music video right, right. <laughs> where it's you know flipping around Dutch angles here and there. Let's grab every piece it's, of an atmosphere. As it's we can. totally hypocritical for me to say this after like kind of ragging on Casablanca for remaining so like rapid fire all the way through. But I kind of wish this movie had kept up that pace. There was so much like sugar, like candy surface pleasure coming at me that like when it went away, I was like kind of crashing. Like the last like thirty minutes when she's outside and dangling from a crane, it's like I've seen this before. I hadn't seen a leather daddy Casablanca before that was new to me <laughs> but like uh the warehouses and um mad max ripoff yeah. of like the last 20 minutes felt so overly familiar that yeah. it almost makes me not want to recommend the film as like a b picture curiosity uh it, it it almost pushes it to like a boredom thing for me Brittany, you seem a lot higher on this than either of us i want to hear you defend it a little bit i don't really get into the I guess sort of even comparing it to Casablanca. It's so, like, action-heavy. It just reminds me... I mean, this was, like, Steven Seagal's fucking heyday of all these, like, badass action movies. It almost reminded me of, like, Commando. Fucking rapid gunfire action. Bunch of awesome one-liners. Yeah. Just coming out the woodwork. It's it's amazing. Well, personally, I didn't think any of the action was good. Well, you can cover up bad action with enough, like, loud right. explosions and stuff. And, you know, and like, enough cuts. Yeah. 
She's in heels and she's like shielding herself with a table. I mean, it's just that shot's really good. It's it's very comic booky. It looks like Dark Man, where it's like the the frame is tilted and she's leaning at this like impossible angle and her uh, heels shooting from behind a table. Almost like the like the Batman movies from Mm -hmm. that time period. She name checks Batman too. Mm -hmm. Uh, When she rescues the girl (laughs) at the beginning, she takes her under her arm and shoots a grappling hook to shoot out of the building. Five minutes of the movie. Yeah, she says. Have you ever seen Batman? I totally get that. And I feel like that thing you're saying, though, is from that first two-thirds, which is where I'm totally on board with what you're saying. Yeah, I guess I like I liked it a little more because it wasn't... There was, like, really no love story in it. That's you true. know, there was, no, but... Yeah. Oh, God. Like, wait, what was his name again? You know? No uh, J- Jango Fett or whatever? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Jango Fett from Star Wars. And, you know, like, the Cora D thing. Like, that wasn't even a big deal, even though it was, like, what they were trying to, like... I don't know what they were trying, but what one would assume they would focus on is this whole, like, we have to protect her. No, it's like, what's Pamela Anderson going to do next? Whose ass is she going to kick? Is she going to get on the motorcycle again? You know? I can, I can almost say the same about Casablanca, in that the romance is important to it, in right. a way, but it's not like a movie that really dwells on that like impulse. Like it's more about True. the circumstances that the romance <laughs> is like suffering under. And this one's even less. <laughs> yeah, and this one has way more gunfire than Casablanca, which is like a movie that's set during wartime. And I'm I'm gonna like kind of alienate Jordan a little bit here. Like war movies, my eyes usually glaze the fuck over during battle mm-hmm. scenes. Like I can't focus. But Casablanca is the kind of movie that's more about like human stakes on like a scene to scene basis. Right. And there aren't a lot of like gunfire exchanges. Where in barbed wire, like you said, they're using that explosion and gunfire to like kind of cover up how bad and mediocre the action is in a certain right. way. Yeah, I, I like obviously love battle scenes and uh, ridiculous things in movies and gunfire and and you know them war stuffs. But it needs to be emotionally driven to get into an action like an action scene or a battle in an ancient you know setting or anything like this. I need to really be invested, and that's where like I draw the line. I need to care about these characters that are about to. There's like individualized stakes instead of like nationwide stakes. Well, there's certain things like famous scenes like think of like saving private ryan and stuff like that's your opening you don't know anybody but that's the very first you know experience the public had been given to that beach what happened that day you have movies like the longest day and stuff but that that might as well be a a play that is (laughs) you know not at all how things were that's just the history you know nerd and me just i mean i look forward to period movies and stuff regardless of the action just so i can like see them reenacted yeah the action in this i mean like i said i'm not invested i'm more or less looking for the chances to laugh yeah and have a good time obviously this script had been sitting in a drawer for 30 years (laughs) waiting for someone to be brave enough and a big enough pair of boobs you don't feel like it was built around pamela anderson like i feel like this is a perfect project i feel like this was an attempt to make her specifically a movie star i bet you uh my house (laughs) my wife my son oh god my dog that pamela anderson wasn't being considered for a role and they're like hold on let me whip together a casablanca remake for you (laughs) 
I got a good idea for you. Turn around? Okay, you spin back around? Good. You're we're my gonna, Humphrey Bogart. We're going to remake <laughs> Casablanca. I feel like this form of this script has just been sitting under a dresser somewhere. Well, it's based off a comic book series, so there is oh, like source okay. material. Well, yeah, there Don't you, you go. picture just Pam Anderson just being like, Tommy, I have to study for this role. And she's just like watching Casablanca. <laughs> Every weekend. Or just staring in the mirror saying, call Don't me call babe. me babe, like 20 times in a row. Okay, so... Here's the thing. The first 20 minutes of barbed wire are the perfect version of barbed wire. The first scene is just an uninterrupted strip tease where she's wearing all tight leather and her right. boobs are out. And that's it. <laughs> and the scene ends when well, a customer uh, she calls... She her hair around too. Oh, my bad. So <laughs> there's a working. hose like three feet from her face. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's stripping and one of the customers is lobbing all these like nasty sexist right. things that are like oh take it all off and like stuff like that and then he finally calls her babe and for some reason <laughs> that's her trigger <laughs> and she throws her stiletto like a chinese throwing star at his forehead and perfectly murders him mm-hmm. and everyone else is like yes <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> times yeah and i love Sorry. that and then the next sequence is her hooking um supposedly <laughs> and it's a lot like china blue in the yes. um, the start of uh crimes of passion by ken russell uh so she lures a john back to the hotel and it's kind of seedy, but then you get to see that, like, oh, actually, she has a plan here, and she uses it like a kidnap break. Like, a, she breaks someone free from kidnapping plot. And she kills two more men in that in that sequence. <laughs> I feel like that is the heart of Barbed Wire. Those opening 20 minutes right. where she's killing men for calling her babe, and just being on top of the world, and owning this nightclub, and all this stuff. And I feel like the energy in that 20 minutes is, like, the perfect distilled version of what I wanted from this movie. Once, <laughs> once you get into the politics of, like... Nazis, which are intact in 2017. It's not like they're like, right. oh, these well, are... They're not our Nazis. They they're wearing are... Nazi uniforms. But that's the superficial, shallow pan of this film's imagination. Right. The Congressional Directorate Oh, they need to be the bad guys. Uh, get them the Nazi uniforms because they went like hard right. The central government went hard right. Everyone will recognize that as bad. Like they're not actual Nazis. Can you explain that to me a little bit? Like, D.C. is the government where these Nazi soldiers are coming into Steel Harbor looking for political degenerates. Okay, is D.C. by itself what the rest of the country is at war with? Or is there, like, a territory... Did you get a handle on this civil war? What I understood was D.C. was the congressional directorate. That's the new regime. And I assume that there are multiple factions at play here. And it has come to such a stalemate that that's how they're a free city is allowed to exist because you neither other side can commit resources to claim it as their own that's usually how that works so the fact that there's a free city amidst this war that's going on that illustrates that it's such a stalemate that you know nobody can take it because they're just lobbing knives at each other (laughs) (laughs) do you know what kind of reminded me of uh steel harbor just the fact that like new orleans is like the safe haven of sin like in the middle of like the south or like even like louisiana which is like this like really like backwards state that's like being dragged kicking and screaming (laughs) into the century like we're this this little like sin city at like the mouth of the river no that's what steel harbor reminded me of i was thinking of like port and (laughs) chapitolis You know, I'm like, huh, kind of. That is like, like us, yeah. America's uh, first <laughs> Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. Las New Orleans. Yeah. 
Okay, another... This is the last I'll rag on barbed wire. This movie doesn't need to be kicked in the throat or anything. But I feel She'll like... kick you in the throat. And we, we mentioned this <laughs> earlier. The dog, Camille, right? Yes. Okay, that's the bouncer at the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, it's, it's run- her secretary. It's, yeah. You can't go up those little stairs. Because her secretary has to pencil you in. A man comes in <laughs> in the middle of the day and demands a drink. And they turn him down. And he says, blow me. And then they sit Camille on him and... When he says blow me, he gets bitten on the dick by a Rottweiler. <laughs> Cue everyone's laughter. We're supposed to, like, double over laughing at this movie. And then I also mentioned earlier Fatso, like, the whole joke about him is that he's, like, this kind of kingpin character. Mm-hmm. And he's so fat, and he just keeps eating and eating. But it was funny when he blew up. Was it funny? Because he's like, oh, no. Like, his eyes are really big. This movie. I laughed a lot. I did not laugh. Dude, like, he, gave her, he gave her a debit card. Oh, God. <laughs> if you're a person and you, you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, well, that's a trick because that doesn't transfer. Oh, you're going to go to the ATM. There's, there's shit no, on it. like, guarantee it has this money. How can you bring it? To Canada, and it works. Oh, yeah, this is from the slums of the United States, or what used to be the United States. But it's a gold debit card, and it has printed 750000 on it. <laughs> because that's how everything works. I'm like, that's a trick. That's There's nothing on the debit card. There's no way. Like, the movie ends with her riding into the sunset with her gold debit card. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, that logic aside, though, just for a second... <laughs> You were, you were talking earlier about like movies like Sharknado and like these like tongue in cheek like sci fi yeah. channel yeah. Uh, mockbusters is what they call them. I feel like the movie gets less interesting once you start realizing that it's like joking about itself and like the debit card and Fatso the and like was all a joke. the dog. It's like a goof. Yeah. And I liked it better when it wasn't a goof. Like the first twenty minutes when she's actually like a biker chick superhero, I was so into it. Right. And I feel like when I wasn't laughing at the jokes because they are very hokey i lost interest i told it was a goof eight (laughs) seconds in for me it was a genuine goof early it was genuine yeah entirely for there was no fall off point yeah for me i mean when you're stripping in a club and you're pretty much naked getting blasted in the face with a hose and your trigger is a man calling you babe none of this adds up i just kind of liked it because it kind of shows she had like some control yeah that's like her trigger well, I, th- I think it, it makes sense 10 minutes later because she doesn't <laughs> not at the moment. she's not a stripper <laughs> Like, full-time, right. like, at that place. She owns the club. She owns the other club. Right. She's just there to but, kidnap a kid right. from Charlie's landlord, and it's always sunny in <laughs> Philadelphia. her parents <laughs> did not seem very happy to get their daughter back. They're like, thank you for getting our daughter. Yeah, yeah, they, that was a weird scene. It was really strange. Oh, shit, we have to give you our car. They have these big, like, trench coats. <laughs> Another moment of humor that lands so flat. <laughs> what was sort of funny and super entertaining for me was, like, the pace in which she, like, delivered her lines, like, don't call me babe. What a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just everything was, I don't know, she's good at enunciating shit, I'll tell you it that was, much. It was the best, the best part of the movie was her, like, inner monologue. She was trying to act Mm-hmm. to say <laughs> very comic booky that's uh-huh. where i was like obviously Golden. sarcastically i'm like this is wonderful that's all i liked well let me posit this question to you humphrey bogart his catchphrase in his version of casablanca if that's the real version uh is here's looking at you kid pamela anderson's catchphrase in barbed wire which may be the better version of casablanca i don't know <laughs> Is yes. We'll have to check. Okay. Is <laughs> no, don't call me babe. And they both had the same like stoic, emotionless, 
neutral mm-hmm. is like the word they would use. Right. Delivery. Like in it for themselves. What makes his version like a better take on that like stoicism than hers where she has no charisma? Like mm-hmm. he's trying to remain just as emotionless as she I is. I think in it's film. because of the direction because of how his stoicism is surrounded by a calm, beautifully set and shot mm-hmm. uh, setting whereas Hers is surrounded by nose rings and gunshots. Everything's and, uh, like black and glossy. Right. Every, every, yeah. Everything is cut, cut, So cut, much cut. wet leather. Do you think like that was a conscious choice or is that just like part of her like lack of on-screen charisma? Is she just like just an object? Because we were talking about him being filmed as an object earlier and it wasn't really a, as a detriment. Like... I don't know. I have very, very, very poor taste. But I thought she had Me too. <laughs> Brittany, did. that's why I love you so much, though. Because we're both terrible people. I know, I'm just... I don't know, like, honest to God, I just want to watch Barbara here again. I don't okay. want to watch Casablanca Dude, I anymore. I got halfway through the movie, 30 minutes through the movie, and that's when I realized when they said Miss Wire, that that was her <gasps> name. Her name's Barb. Barb Wire is her name. I love the Miss Wire. I just thought this setting, this is goofy as all hell. Barb Wire, because of the aesthetic of the mm-hmm. the setting and movie or whatever. That's just what my mind right. going in. I didn't really address it. Thirty minutes in, oh Miss Wire, and I just had to pause it. I was her Miss name's Lee Barb. Shit. The only Wire. Barb I know is Barb Leahy from Trailer Park Boys. Like, <laughs> the only, like still as badass. That was a very redeeming. So, I was like, okay, I got. Yep, it's time to buckle down. I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> But you know Pam Anderson has a barbed wire tattoo on her arm? That's what, what I thought. That was part of the aesthetic. She had that from the Does early 90s. Did she have 90s. it on the movie? Oh, uh, I don't think remember. she got it from the movie. That's a good oh. question. Because oh, I remember God, when I was a kid, yeah. she had it. Mm-hmm. When that trend was blowing up right. out of control. Her, Blake Shelton, has a barbed wire around your arms and ankles. <laughs> there were tons of guys at gyms Sh- paying that price every day. Oh, right yeah. Sweet. <laughs> oh, God. I just want to go back to that time. Do you think someone in Louisiana has Miss Wire as their license plate personalized? I don't think anymore. Maybe maybe in 96. They're dead now. They're dead now. <laughs> They're dead now. <laughs> They're dead now. I will say that one of the movie's like <laughs> legacy points for me, like why I thought about it so often, was that every other Friday I would go with my dad to uh, the North Shore Bowling Alley uh, in Covington because he had a bowling team with his family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're bowling for like four or five hours a night, so you keep active by going to the arcade Mm -hmm. and in the arcade in this bowling alley they had the barbed wire pinball game oh my god uh and it was a gorgeous work of art this pinball Mm -hmm. machine the beautiful thing is you know how like in the center of pinball games they have the uh object that sort of raises and lowers at different times once you hit targets so that you can get like extra points by hitting that that was fatso on the uh so (laughs) so fatso in the film is on a forklift and that's how his like cronies drive him around right in the pinball game, he was on a forklift and he would raise and lower at yeah, certain that, times so you can get like extra points by that's getting amazing. past him. Oh, that is God. beautiful. So it's like one of the reasons the movie's like sort of stuck in my mind. Right. But I think there's like interesting like production design things to that. Like, can I stop you for a moment? Sure, sure. And point out how much longer we've spoken about barbed wire versus <laughs> Casablanca. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, we blew through Casablanca, and they were like, yeah, well, let's get on to the entree here. I had kind of an agenda. Like, I'm in the middle of... Casablanca kind of tells it out too much, you can... Well, yeah, it's it's already been talked Unless to death. Unless we want to talk politics. <laughs> well, it's been talked to death, too. Like, people have right. mentioned Casablanca. I'm in the middle of a project right now where I'm watching every film mentioned in Roger Ebert's autobiography, uh, Life Itself. Uh, and I just got to Casablanca. And But around the time I got to that, I was for some reason reading the wikipedia for barbed wire and saw that it was a riff and that it also yeah i was very upset when was set in that. 2017 <laughs> which is a crazy thing that it's set now so right. i feel like now was the time yeah it's perfect mm-hmm. timing and when i saw casablanca for that project and i thought like oh i didn't like this quite as much as i was floored by citizen kane and i feel like those two movies are sort of heralded as like the best cinema has to offer. I was like, oh, I liked this movie, but I didn't like it as much as Citizen Kane, which actually lived up to the hype. Yeah, um, I, I, I gotta say the same on Casablanca. Like, it I was mean, good. It's a good movie. I just, I mean, I think all of its fame is from the the, the relevance of the, the time? The time, the, the bubble that it was made in yeah. was, was massive. I mean, it's a good, you know, drama, love story of, of sacrifice and everything, and it's it doesn't have you know your typical happy ending it, it's bittersweet you it's not almost gonna... like a european film ending yeah uh, let's talk about the ending of casablanca real quick okay how like i love the ending so much yeah i would prefer that ending versus him like flying in the plane with her and being oh, oh yeah love each absolutely that made it a more iconic film friendship yeah i mean it was just so nice where it's just like you know i mean i don't know it was just kind of like a break from all the like mushy gushy stuff and it's just kind of like there's other I relationships think... we need to focus on i think maybe even unintentionally there's like a homoerotic tension to that too let me get into this oh my god the german officer here comes some deep digging it's not that deep it's it's (laughs) the german officer who is rick's best friend in north africa right this is Mm -hmm. the guy who's trying to live outside nazi control and he sees himself in rick and he actually looks Uh, up to rick he's at the end when rick spurns uh ingrid bergman at the airport and she leaves he says like basically like we're gonna be friends now and and, uh rick has his famous line was like i think this is a um start of a beautiful friendship earlier in the film when ingrid bergman talks to that german officer she asked him to to describe rick to her and she's trying to like Mm. figure out if he's actually the guy and he says oh rick is a perfect man he's the kind of man that if i were a woman i would fall in love with for real for real i that is in the text i'm not making that shit up and i feel like at the end they like bond together and the stronger was stronger well yeah if you think about it they've spent more time together Mm -hmm. in north africa than rick and um ingrid bergman's character ever spent in paris true they have like a stronger bond at the end the one he's holding hostage right that's the frenchman he's a french character yeah i thought he was a german officer who's like oh the the germans let me yeah no he's the frenchman i've been calling him german this whole recording watchy 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 he's like the the french police guy i thought he was a german officer holding the french territory for the the german was the guy with the mustache the the thinner guy that was Mm. always with his german gang so i've been describing this man as a German officer this entire I'm episode. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's my I'm just mi- catching on. No, that's yeah. my mistake. But yeah, the French officer then. Yeah. Uh, who who sees himself as like, oh, it's okay these Nazis exist. I'm outside of their control. Right, this will yeah. last forever. They don't yeah, care that much. And about he throws territory. the water in the he's... trash can. He's like, I'm liberated. <laughs> am by I Rick. Am I crazy by thinking there's like some kind of like romantic tension between the two of them? Yes, yes, you no, are. I'm crazy. I mean, okay. I'm kind of feeling it. No, I th- <laughs> it's just an older way of painting camaraderie 
the further you go back, the gayer it gets. I mean, <laughs> well, identity identity <laughs> politics are more like on our mind right. now. Right. Like uh, any kind of expression of that, right. kind of like questions what what you consider yourself in like a public sense. Exactly. But I just do think it's interesting that those two like have a much stronger bond than he had with Ingrid yeah. Bergman, which was like I a think... kind of a flash in the pants. Ro- Flash in the pan romance. For the time, you know, that this was set in, that's just supposed to be a much more innocent and sweeter friendship. And it's a simpler way of illustrating the, you know, everything they've been through and, and, mm-hmm. and how close they are. Instead of having to do 50, you know, flashbacks and grizzled, you know. Kind of like he almost like looked up to Rick more than like, I don't know. It was like he kind of idolized him in a weird way. So that line where he says, like, if I were a woman, that's the man I would fall in love with. That's not like... Because he wants... Maybe he wants to be like Rick. Be like... (laughs) I guess so. He's the guy that, like... He does idolize him, no matter what. He owns, like, this hot-ass cafe. You know, he's got this badass piano player. I didn't even think that was the most ridiculous, like, barbed wire connection I made while watching Casablanca. (laughs) The most ridiculous one I was thinking about was, like... Okay, so Barb Wire owns this club, right? And she still strips and, like, fake hooks and does all these side hustles, like you were saying. Mm. Fake hooks. Fake hooks. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's not actually a sex worker. But she had the card. She pretends to be. She does all these things. Is that at all a commentary about how Rick's, Humphrey Bogart's character, is sort of for sale? He has all these, like, morals and standards about how he's free from anything outside of neutrality and, like, how he's not political at all. But he's actually sort of for hire. Like, he will help people go to America for the right price. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's how he kind of passes off his, like, helping of Ingrid Bergman, even though we know as an audience that it's, like, something a lot deeper than that. Is there any, like, sort of push and pull between how barbed wire is, like, for sale, like, physically, in the way that Rick is, like, sort of morally for sale? Or is that just, like, digging so deep into this barbed wire connection that I'm losing myself in the woods? I'm in a wormhole. Yeah. Yeah, I feel it's digging a little deep. I feel that that was more ridiculous than the homosexual subtext, but... I don't know. The setting for Casablanca is supposed to be, like, purgatory everybody's trying to to get out but it's not i think i think really the only purgatory there is rick because he's the one who owns it everyone else is on a line they pass through they're they're going somewhere they have efforts he's just the one wrangling them and because he's stuck on a memory right he's he's stuck there he's the manager of purgatory and people keep passing through. Okay, know. so his only adversary as someone who manages this purgatory is another man who's a foreigner sort of like running a similar operation down the street. Is that a reflection of Big Fatso in the Because he kind of wire? looks like Big Fatso. Because he they're had the larger, fez. They're larger men. And yeah, chunky with weird hats. And kind of like shady as all hell. I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess, okay, maybe it's a fool's yeah. mission to look for, like, a one-to-one comparison between yeah, these yeah. two films. Yeah, you can't, like, compare, okay, at the second act, here's where this scene is replicated. Like, that's a fool's errand, absolutely. Do you think if you watch Barbed Wire Cold, having, like, have seen Casablanca a couple times, like a normal person, unlike the three of us, <laughs> uh, do you think that you would have noticed, like, that it was a Casablanca riff? Do you think it would have, like, occurred to you that it was, like, mimicking oh, I Casablanca? Think, I think so. Yeah. I think so, absolutely. When you first told me, Barbed Wire is a, uh, this is like two weeks ago? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it turns out it's like a uh, Casablanca remake. I'm like, oh, Brandon is saying something again. There, like there's bullshit. no way. <laughs> there's, there's no way. It just, it's going to be so loose and so vague, and he's just digging in. Mm-hmm. I mean, 20 minutes into it, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> this guy. 
this, blasphemy. This <laughs> is a, a remake of Casablanca. Like this is what he's. This is what they were. It, it's all here. It's this just is like nuts. way hotter. Yeah, it's, it's way more hot more, topic. Casablanca with more boners. <laughs> it's, it's, Rick's Cafe American meets Hot Topic. It's Katsu's. Oh, God. And that's, Club. that's what's so funny about these whipped up productions like this to, to sell a, a current star, mm-hmm. Pamela Lee. In, what was it, 1995 this came out? Six, yeah. 96. The future, of course, the more whipped up the produc- a production is, the future in 20 years is literally just like what the counterculture is now. They're like, oh, it's got to be like 20 years from now. Oh, well, all these kids with their Jinko jeans and right. and, uh, and nose rings. And those will damn have, contact lenses. They'll have been grown up by then. <laughs> yeah. So they'll have taken over. What would our like, barbed wire be? Maybe like... Uh, Fidget spinners. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking more like... Uh, I'm thinking more like the rapper future would be the future. Like everyone's like pilled out and like everything's purple. Just like Young lean Thug. Everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's on lean. <laughs> it's like a slow down future as opposed to this like rapid pace one. No, if it was like yeah. someone in their fifties that had to make like a dark, you know, vision of the future twenty years from now, everyone they'd be like so angry about how like everyone is on YouTube and mm-hmm. like all of your members of Congress are just YouTube stars, <laughs> yeah, and your president is a YouTube star. Like chocolate rain. <laughs> that's how we president. make future movies now, like that movie The Circle with Tom Hanks that just came out as like a Facebook horror. Oh, I haven't or like, seen that uh, one. Last year, I didn't see it either, it looked like crap. But last year, the, uh, Nerve <laughs> was a really good one, and it was kind of about like... It was almost like Pokemon Go as a horror movie. Like it's about people mm-hmm. on their smartphones playing right. this like increasing series of dares. Like yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying because yeah. it's the shortest hanging fruit. You have to make this right now. Right, you're you're emphasizing the anxieties of the, the time. Juice. Yeah, yeah. Especially for <laughs> horror films. I mean, this is lowest hanging. It's right yeah. there. You gotta. It takes you know three weekends to shoot, and you know. Well, those genre, those genre movies actually work as better time capsules of the culture, though, because mm-hmm. they like it's not only just counterculture but like commodified counterculture like mm-hmm. yeah. hot topic gadzooks it's something that you can like you're selling to the people who are sitting in the seats it's something the they theater. can recognize right. yeah Absolutely. so it's like actually like documenting this like trash throwaway culture that most people would want to forget uh it's right. actually like putting it into like cinematic posterity so like right. people are like oh let's look at movies that are related to Casablanca. This is what the 90s were like. Right. Like, right. In you this can, movie, like, chart it out. Yeah. yeah. And this movie is very 90s. Like, there's no other era when right. barbed wire could have been made, I don't Absolutely. think. I think it was perfect. Like, I don't think it could be good <laughs> if it was made, like... Like, if they had a barbed wire now, and they didn't have a barbed wire back then, it yeah. wouldn't be as cool. The over-sexualized, mm-hmm. like, look at this woman's tits. Right. Uh, that would be just shot into the ground in today's cultural climate. Where in right. the 90s, that, like, stripper culture was a lot more, like, like, wildly accepted. Speaking of, Pam Anderson had a um, Stanley animated series called Stripperella. Oh, yeah. But it was in 2003. Oh I wonder if it was, like, on TNN or something like that. I never yeah. saw it. Um, But, yeah, she was, like, I... a stripper by day and, like, a you know, superhero by night. Oh, so my God. That I is barbed wire. She kind of... I went with this. the barbed wire thing. Yeah. I totally remember that mm-hmm. so vaguely. Oh my god. I just remember like staying up late because I was like probably 13 when it came out. And my yeah. mom was just kind of like, what are you watching? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Stripperella, Stripperella, mom. You don't know anything. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it kind of like the the whole barbed wire thing. I mean, I think it worked for her because when I think of her now, I don't think of her in a Baywatch suit. Right. I don't think of the red bathing suit shit. 
No, I honestly do think of barbed wire first, but that's like a personal Y'all are nuts. I think it's I'm a not... personal thing for me though. Like seeing nuts. this movie so early I and then like you. playing the pinball machine. Like mm-hmm. I, I have more personal association with that. I knew, it, I knew it from Baywatch right. before. Right. Yeah. So and like I don't know. There was always a TV on. Breast implants. Those are big. All that was happening, like I, the the <laughs> the Walmart posters. I think the the sex tapes. Yeah, Walmart posters. <laughs> I think the sex tape came out before this came out, or maybe like the same year. It was so close. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty close. If it's nice. Well, she was married to Tommy Lee, which was not a very long lived marriage. They were freshly right. married, and she tape. was and she was um, billed as Pamela Anderson Lee when this movie came out. Right. So. I was thinking about that because I'm like, I wonder if the sex tape played into that like super fucking long, you know, raining hosepipe strip scene. Let me tell you, on the DVD that you and I both own, there's a special features segment where it's like, extended scenes, extra sexy footage. I'm like, <laughs> okay, what is this? Whoa. So I click on it, and it's just an unedited straight shot of what they filmed for that stripper sequence. Is the music the playing in the background? No, it's just her <laughs> getting hosed down. It's so creepy and weird. That's why the movie was made. Exactly. And I feel like yeah. I feel like it does lose a little steam after those first Maybe 20 minutes. Maybe the sex tape like they were like, oh fuck. Oh, we need to make oh barbed wire. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Maybe that, that that's what I'm saying. When I was it? I was like 10 years old, 10 or 11, that came out and we would be crazy about like we walk past it in Blockbuster and everything. And my friends and stuff like, oh man, oh, I want to see it. Blah blah blah. Oh, she don't get like fully naked in it, man. Like uh, I heard from so and so, she doesn't get fully <laughs> naked in. Oh man. <laughs> and it was like this short-lived like thing, that, like this goal. Mm-hmm. Like oh, we gotta see barbed wire. You did it. Like, yeah. At, at thirty. At thirty years old. I finally made it. As someone who saw it in the theater at 10 years old, oh I can God. say that you did not miss out on much. Oh, I know now I yeah. didn't miss out. And but the thing that's surprising about it is the fact that as much of like an absolute product as this film is, mm-hmm. like it, yeah. it is it is a product. She's rich, unfamous, she's blowing up right now, leaving, she just left Baywatch, she's got huge boobs, here we go. It's the thing we put her in. Here, here's the product. It's still, like, remarkably more competent for how much of a cheap cash-in it is. Yeah. Like, like it's, like I said early on, it's remarkably well-edited. But I still can't recommend it. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, no. Brittany and I no. just watched Cool as Ice, the Vanilla Ice movie. And that movie, I can wholly recommend as, like, a work of art. Like, it is a beautiful piece, but it's just as commercially minded. And I feel yeah. like this one's not as complete. There's something mm-hmm. about this movie, like, when I watched C- Casablanca for the first time, and I was, like, not quite as, like, over the moon for it as I probably should have been, considering its classic status. I was so amped up to be able to come in here and say Barbed Wire is a better movie than Casablanca. Like, there's nothing I would have loved more than come in here and say, like, this Pamela Anderson knockoff that is, like, such a commercial shill for bullshit is a better film. And I totally would have if I could say it sincerely. It's 100% more entertaining. You think it is a better film than Casablanca. Or, like, not a better film. That's that's a wrong... That's a loaded question. Make that case. I want you to. The way I look at it, I won't watch Casablanca again. I really liked it. I'm, there's no reason for me to rewatch it. I will rewatch the fuck out of Barbed Wire. Yeah. I you wish I, mean? I were on the so same much page going... as you. Okay. Hey. Usually we are on the yeah. same page with this stuff. As I much of a nerd as I am for the period and everything, I would watch Barbed Wire again before Casablanca. That's how I, I look at it. Because, let's be honest, Casablanca is like basically 
the notebook for World War II. Like, it, it is the, the, the love story. Not that they're, you know, on level ground there mm-hmm. in comparison right, 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 right. whatsoever in production and detail right. or writing. But, like, that's essentially what it is. It is the, you know, the punch-to-the-gut drama that, you know, would capture everyone a generation for the duration of this conflict. Barbed wire is... It's it, a, it's, it's nuts. It's a 90s and, time capsule. And... and if I'm gonna watch something again, barbed wire would probably happen because I'm drunk and and people well, want something on the TV. Maybe it could help us through 2017. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll help us understand right. this year better. I know. Right. Well, okay, I'm usually the kind of person that would like vouch for the trash before the art, and I I want to be on the same page as y'all. Yeah. But my my thing here is that I feel like watching Casablanca a few more times would help me appreciate it better and like mm-hmm. dive into the parts that more people hook onto. Whereas I feel like watching barbed wire again i would only get diminishing returns like i would be like oh yeah that's the part i liked that's how i feel about casablanca ironically really like i feel like all of the subtleties and everything were blatantly obvious to me and it was just like punched i don't know i guess i was just overly convinced by that ebert argument that it's like listening to your favorite album where it's like here's the hit again oh she says play it again sam and like that's kind of part of the maybe there is a better rhythm to it yeah yeah maybe there's some underlying trash it it passed by so fast that (laughs) That i never find and i'll love it i don't know well casablanca passes by so fast i feel like i never sank into it and i feel like the only way i could sink into it is in revisiting several times okay i I can see that do do y'all have anything more to say about how these two films communicate with each other structurally obviously yeah there's a lot of narrative similarities and it it is interesting that barbed wire is like a gender flipped version of casablanca yeah um but i don't think that is a very like thoughtful or deliberate choice and anything that's absolutely a cash in yeah anything that comes out of it is completely incidental and you really just have to go into barbed wire wanting a 90s time capsule starring pamela anderson yeah and not really wanting like a different illuminating take on Casablanca. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's news to anyone who started listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for more. No one clicked the button hoping to be convinced. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I think that Brittany and I are, have gotten on the same page saying that we would want a drag routine bar- version of Barbed Wire. Uh, do you have a drag queen in mind? Fucking Sharon Needles. Oh, 100%. Sharon Needles. Yeah, that's 100% right. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I can, I'm telling you, Sharon Needles coming out on a motorcycle, too hellbent for leather, dressed up as barbed wire. I'm on board with that 100%. Mm-hmm. Jordan, where do you want people to find you online? Do you have like a Twitter or like a Reddit presence or... Just Google Donald Trump. That's you? Yeah, that's me. Oh, okay. I, I'm the leader of the free world. Um, of Still Harbor. Yeah, of Still Harbor. Of Still Harbor, the well, free city. By my second term, I'll have this country a steel harbor. <laughs> I was expecting more inflammatory takes if you're Donald Trump. <laughs> no, no, I'm. I, I have nothing. Well, I'm a stay-at-home dad. Well, yeah. everyone, check in uh, through their government-tapped recording devices to check out Jordan fathering a younger person at home. Yeah, if you need me, uh, just contact Swamp Flicks mercilessly and say we need jordan campo and we would love to have you back on another episode (laughs) we Uh, will send the retinal lenses anytime i accidentally get into like something i think pertains to your interests i'm sure another video game episode will come up Uh, and i think me and james were missing your insight on those games because neither of us had played like half of the games we were talking about when we did our top five video game adaptations right on well you can find the rest of us Brittany included at Mm swampflex.com we are 
do movie reviews and this kind of commentary on a daily basis. Right now, we're talking about Elaine May's gangster flick, Mikey and Nikki, for the duration of May. So if you click on Movie of the Month at the top of the page, you can see our thoughts on a movie starring Peter Falk and John Cassavetes doing sort of like a low-level Scorsese riff, which is a really fun film. Not not too far from like the sort of like humanist version of like crime that you see in Casablanca. Right. Just and more of a 70s exploitation mafia riff. Leaning more towards barbed wire, if we had to put it on a scale. <laughs> yeah, if you like barbed wire and Casablanca, check out Mikey and Nikki. <laughs> that is a bizarre recommendation. <laughs> Alright, well, we'll talk to y'all in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.